Sal Berry. You could buy that Young Gun rookie card on eBay, or you could buy this one, which is pack fresh. And Tim Parrish. I mean, I only want my cards to be pack fresh. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry, and with me is Tim Parrish, and today... We are going to talk about Upper Deck Series 2, which is finally out for the 21-22 season. Never mind that the 21-22 season is over. We finally got Upper Deck Series 2 hockey cards at the end of the season. I guess better late than never. We're also going to talk about some of the uh, draft picks and some of the trades that went down recently and some other hobby news and some other hockey news. So, Tim, how you doing, man? Fantastic. That's good. Anything Did you tell by the the extreme sarcasm in my voice that I'm fantastic? That's just your normal voice, so I can't oh, tell. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. I'll tell you some uh, some hockey news in the hockey news, something that I'm very proud about. Um, I had a big article published in the new issue of the hockey news that just came out uh, called the Champions Issue. It's on newsstands now. Well, actually, it's, it's hitting mailboxes now. I just got my copy on Saturday. So it should be on newsstands any day now, and it'll probably be on for a couple of months because it's basically the big issue that they put out in the summer that recaps all the different champions from the NHL to the AHL to the KHL and all the other leagues. But I have an eight-page article. Actually, I have three articles this issue. So that's worth buying right there because I have three. my um, I have three articles in this issue, which is crazy. Holy crap. I mean, one day I'm just going to write the whole issue. It's going to be all about hockey cards. No, uh, kidding aside. So you remember a couple uh, podcasts back, we talked about the Ben Stelter hockey card? Um, yeah, that was a while ago. It was a while ago, but they published it online a while back, but then they published it in this issue because it's still noteworthy that Upper Deck did this thing that was you know, very nice for this kid who's a really big fan of the Oilers. And then I also have a two-page Puck Culture article where I talk about 10 celebrities who have their own hockey cards. I know we've talked about this here and there in the past. I know we did something about that when we did a uh, live podcast. Was it the Virtual Expo a few, like a year ago, maybe? I can't yeah. remember. So it's, it's, it's 10 cards of celebrities who have hockey cards. Not talking about that National Treasures nonsense. I'm talking about like actual cards found in actual hockey sets like like an upper deck set or something like that so that's cool and then i have my eight page article called hockey card comeback which basically talks about how hockey cards have experienced this huge comeback well all of sports trading cards has but maybe more so hockey because hockey is always a little bit of i don't want to say an outlier but i mean hockey doesn't have the same fervor as say basketball and football but sure. it kind of did, like, at the height of the pandemic. I mean, I remember, and I talk about this in the article, but Alexei Lafreniere, when his Young Gun rookie card came out, it was $600 on eBay. I was seeing, like, sold for $600. Like, that's what the price people were listing it at, and that's what they were buying it at. And this was in November of 2020, before he even played a game. So I talk about how hockey cards just surged in popularity. I talked to some very interesting people. You know, I talked with Greg Cohn from Leaf Trading Cards. I talked with Brian Price from President's Choice Trading Cards. I talked with Jason Mastin of Upper Deck. I talked with somebody from Heritage Auctions. I talked with somebody from 
the National Sports Collectors Convention. I talked with Steve Menzi from the Expo. I talked with Joe Daly, who is a former NHL and WHA goalie, and he's also had his own sports card shop in Winnipeg since 1988. So I talked to him because not only is he on hockey cards, but he sells hockey cards. And I thought he'd have a very interesting perspective because he's been selling cards even before the first surge in the early 90s. So I urge you to check out that issue, but if you don't want to buy it, then I'll also link to it in the comments because Hockey News also published the article online. Of course, the one in print is better because it has nicer pictures and stuff like that. And you can keep it and you can take it to the National and have Sal autograph it for you. That's ridiculous. It might be ridiculous, but it's possible. If somebody came up to your table and wanted you to autograph that, are you trying to tell me you would say no? Somebody asked me to autograph an article. Uh, it was a couple nationals back. It was the one that I wrote about Chris Chelios in 2019 for Sports Collectors Digest. And they were and giving you? out. Yeah, I did. But I was See? just like, mm, I mean. And then they turn around and sell it on eBay for 10 times what it's worth. For 10 times less than what it's worth. Then you'll um, be famous. And then you'll send them a letter from your attorney that says, cease and desist selling my property rights because I own an exclusive contract with Puck Junk to only sell through Puck Junk. Uh, okay, you lost me in that tangent, but all that, right. That was that whole NIL thing with Tops. Oh, that, yeah, right, right, that, right. Yeah, that basketball player from um, Gonzaga or wherever he's from. Right. So, oh, so speaking of the national, I'm glad you brought that up. Good segue. I'm actually going to be setting up at the national. I know I've, I've mentioned this in the past, but I'm mentioning it again because the national is coming up really soon. It's at the end of July. So actually the specific dates are July 27th, which coincidentally Upper Deck Extended Series is supposed to come out that day. We'll see if that happens. But July 27th, which is a Wednesday, and then 28, 29, 30, and 31st so it's a five-day show i'm going to be set up i'm going to be actually towards the front so um memory lane and au sports has a booth and they let me set up with them when you walk into the national you're going to see memory lane like right away they're going to be like that first booth that you walk into but if you go to the back side of their tables not the part of their booth that's facing the doors but if you like walk past their booth and go around it, you'll find me there. And I'll be selling my shirts and some hockey cards and just, you know, hoping to talk hockey with people and get more Twitter followers and people to listen to our podcast and stuff like that. Get me some Twitter followers while you're there, too. I will do that. I will do that. I will say, oh, and also follow Tim. Also um, follow Tim. Because I did the national last year, and that was... No, dude, you're more you're more active on Twitter, and you, like, actually engage with people, and they engage with you on Twitter more than me. That may very Which, well be, but I don't have even close to as many followers. What do you got now? Yeah, like maybe 1,100, 1,200. I don't know. It's quality, not quantity, right? Right, exactly. Not what they tell um, you? Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, there are people who pay for bots. They have 10,000 followers, but 8,000 of them are fake accounts. What good is that, right? Ooh, where do I go to get that? I mean, hypothetically. Hypothetically, I wouldn't even know. So I'm psyched about being at the National and selling at the National. I did that last year. 
had a blast. This year is going to be interesting because it's going to be a road trip to Atlantic City, New Jersey. So it's going to be like a road game for me, but it's going to be like an ECHL road game where we drive 14 hours to get there. And then you stay in a seedy hotel and then you like show up and do your thing, I guess. Only this will be my thing over like five days plus setting up and then a day of travel. So like it's going to be like a week. Like my back is like a 14 hour drive. We got to go through your favorite town, Philly, to get to Atlantic City. So, yep, you sure do. You've, uh, yeah, you ever been to Philadelphia? Uh, plenty of times. Yeah. Ever see the Penguins play there? Like a road game? I did not. Bummer. Bummer. Not bummer, done bummer. that. Let's put it this way. The last time I was in Philly, I'm pretty sure I, I did see a Phillies game there at Old Veteran Stadium. So, I don't think that exists anymore. So, that tells you how long ago that was. So one other announcement that I just want to make at the top of the show. I came to this epiphany recently that, you know, me being in my middle ages, I finally made my midlife crisis purchase. You which, bought a Ferrari. No, see, now this is the funny thing, was that people who don't know me, when I say I made my midlife crisis purchase, they say to me, oh, you bought a sports car. Which is funny because I, I would never buy a sports car. But, I know you and I said that anyway. Right. But people who kidding. know me say, oh, you bought a sports card. Like you finally got that Opeachy Gretzky rookie you wanted. Or you finally got that Bobby Orr rookie, right? You bought a sports card instead of a sports car. Well, right. I, I didn't buy either. I actually bought a gym membership and personal training lessons, which is something I've always wanted to do. Going back to my 20s, I was going to actually sign up and work with a personal trainer. And, you know, I had the money set aside for this. And then, like, the job that I was working at, we got bought out. We got bought by a new company. And, like, everybody had to, like, interview for their job. And I got spooked. And I said, I might not be here in two weeks. I can't be spending money on such frivolities as working with a personal trainer so I can look more athletic and strong, right? So I backed yeah, I mean, out of that. Personal health is overrated. No, it's it's undervalued, right? Like we just we do that stuff, you know. I think because we see this as like a luxury, but yeah. So that's I've been like crazy busy teaching, but then I've also had a little extra income. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to put this towards a gym membership and working with a personal trainer. And if I'm going to live to be a hundred, then I gotta I gotta make the steps to do that, you know. I work with a guy named Jim. That's as close as I get to one. Let's talk about uh, some hockey stuff. We had the draft last week. I watched the draft, and it's funny because, like, for, like, four days straight, the NHL Network just kept showing reruns of the draft. Come on, man. Show an old game or something. I'm tired of this. The old games are are coming. It's summertime. Yeah, we'll get those classic games, you know. That's usually the only time that they ever have time to show them between repeats of... NHL tonight and like top plays and that kind of thing. Oh God, yeah. those top plays are just such like it's like just such filler. I mean, they're, they're uh, it is I, it is you but, know you know I get it. I, get I it. like the top plays. What I don't like is when they do like the top forty defensemen of all time. It's just like eh. oh, I already yeah. know who the top three are gonna be. So right, like or at least the top one. So anyway, so uh, what are your what are your thoughts on the draft? I, I I kind of I watched it and I was just like, oh, that's nice. The kid looks really happy. He got drafted. He's hugging his mom. He's hugging his dad. 
I, I mean, I should be more up on this, but this is just a year I wasn't really up on keeping up with, other than like, okay, I know Shane Wright was projected to go first overall and didn't. Absolutely. But other than that, I wasn't really like, hey, I wonder what's going to happen with this guy. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I had like no vested interest other than holding my breath until the Blackhawks started trading away everybody. We'll talk about that. Like, you know, please yeah. don't let this happen. Please don't let this happen. And sure enough. Yeah. Well, here's kind of my take on the draft. So if we want to talk about surprises, obviously the huge surprise was Shane Wright falling from number one down to the lowly number four position and getting picked by Seattle. Now, look, if you look at NHL Central scouting, if you looked at it beforehand and leading up to the draft, Shane Wright was a consensus number one overall pick. Beginning of the year, middle of the year, and the end of the year. In fact, Shane Wright was the number one consensus overall pick the previous year, too, in anticipation. So this guy is highly touted as being the number one prospect, being the guy that everybody was going to want, and it was essentially the Shane Wright sweepstakes with the race to the bottom. So the fact that he dropped to four was a little bit of a shock, but the interesting part is many of the draft pundits or you know the, the analysts mm-hmm. that go through and do draft picks and do rankings and everything, the last couple of weeks leading up to the draft, it was like all of a sudden Shane Wright was falling to two and to three. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what's going on here? And if you paid attention, it would probably surprise no one. Or even if you didn't pay attention, most people think that most of the NHL is made up of European players and stuff anyway, and Canadians. So it would probably surprise nobody that there were a ton of Europeans that were drafted in this year's draft. But if you look at the previous year, there weren't. And why was that? Because scouts couldn't go and look at them. They had to Mm -hmm. watch videotape and go by word of mouth and hear what went on because travel restrictions and COVID and everything else. This year was different. Scouts got to go and they got to watch. There were tournaments, there were, you know, there was an Olympic year. So you have a lot more exposure of European players in this year's draft. And one of those was Jura Slavkovsky. And he came to the forefront, Slovakian player, who's, he's basically a monster. I mean, he's six foot four, 229 pounds from Finland. Guy's a beast. And he played out of his mind. The whole Slovakian team surprised everyone with as well as they played. Mm-hmm. So he somehow, some way, caught the eye of Montreal, and boom, he ends up the number one pick. And Shane Wright is no longer number one. So then you think, okay, well, he must be going to number two. New Jersey comes up. Another Slovakian player, this time a defenseman, Simon Nemec, gets picked. Not as big of a guy, but again, he's, you know, he's this phenom that played, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, above his pay grade when it came to the international tournaments. And he goes number two. I think everybody already knew that Logan Cooley was going to get picked by Arizona. I think that was a fit that was already planned. And I don't know if they called him and told him, hey, we're going to pick you regardless. Mm -hmm. And that was the deal. And then all of a sudden... You know, on the clock is Arizona with the third pick. And look at the board, and Shane Wright's still there. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've already committed to pick Logan Cooley, 
what are you going to do? Go back on it and just take the best available? Not that I'm saying he that writes better than Cooley, but I kind of am. Even though I like Logan Cooley better, mm-hmm. of course, he's a Pittsburgh native, so I would be biased. But mm-hmm. here it is. Shane Wright falls the fourth, which I think, and I've seen all the conspiracy theories that this was planned because Seattle didn't have the stellar draft that everybody wanted them to have last time around. And quote unquote, didn't get the Vegas luck in the expansion draft. Here's the number one consensus overall prospect going to the no longer expansion expansion team. Right. Look, Shane Wright's a great player. He's a phenomenal type player. And if you watch his game and the what he does and what he brings as a center with his size, I mean, he's only six foot. He's like 200 pounds. He plays a game very similar to his GM when his GM used to play. And that's Ron Francis. Mm. I'm not comparing him to Ron Francis. So don't get your panties in a bunch. Everybody's saying, how can you say he's a Hall of Fame? That's all I'm saying. I'm saying he shows that style of play. And I think that might be a really good fit for him on Seattle. Now, whether he was happy about it at first or not, I don't know. Because I don't know if you saw when he got picked. He got up there to take his picture, and the way the camera hit him, he was smiling when the cameras were on. As soon as the cameras went off, it looked like he was mean mugging the Habs table right there in front. Hmm. It really looked like he did, and then all of a sudden the cameras go up. He's smiling, and then the cameras come back down, and he's just like staring a death stare at him. But you know, he said in an interview, he was at the Toronto Blue Jays game the other day, and they asked the guy that was interviewing him, asked him, like, so what? what was that all about? He's like, He's like, I don't know. People are making a big deal out of it, but it didn't really mean anything. I was just trying to, like, make sure I was looking at the right place I was looking at or at the camera mm-hmm. or whatever and stuff like that. But, you know, that would be a great storyline of him getting passed over. And I think I made a point to mention that this is how every evil supervillain story starts out. You know, they were the good guy. It's supposed to be the good guy. And then they get passed over and turn into develop this hatred and anger towards whoever it is that passed them over. And then they become the the evil supervillain. So, but we'll see. That's obviously like the big surprise, you know, especially for folks that you know don't pay that much attention to the draft. But one thing that um, that I was kind of paying attention to is based off of how NHL Central Scouting had guys ranked versus how they actually got taken on the list. Anytime you look at Central Scouting information, I don't know how. I've, if you've ever pulled up that data or kind of looked at it, they always rank North American and European players separate. Right. And they'll do skaters versus skaters and goalies versus goalies. And then you can sort them and rank them however you want. If you just take the top, well, you know, there's 32 teams. So you take the top 32 that were ranked with NHL scouting, you know, the vast majority of the top 32, well, I shouldn't say Vassar, all of the top 32 U.S. skaters and all of the top 32 ranked European player skaters were all drafted. Mm-hmm. Now, they weren't all drafted in the first round, obviously. Many of them were. Um, but some of the interesting things that I thought were some of these high-ranked European players fell to some later rounds. and. You, you can't help but think that a lot of that might have had to do with people's concerns over whether or not 
they'd be able to get here or come here, mm-hmm. especially with Russian players mm-hmm. and the things that have been happening with Russian players. The other thing I thought was really interesting was the fact that Brad Lambert fell as far as he did. I thought he would have been drafted way higher. He's ranked in the top 10 of European skaters only because he plays for the Pelicans over in Finland. Yes. And I thought for sure he was going to get drafted much higher than that, but he fell to 30 and went to Winnipeg. So I thought that was interesting because at one point and he kind of fell off. I don't know if he got injured or what it was. He was ranked fifth at the beginning of the year and he ended up 10th at the end of the year. So he was still top 10, but I thought for sure somebody was going to take a, take a spin with him mm-hmm. earlier. I was really happy about the Penguins first round pick. A, the fact that we had one. Mm-hmm. And B, B, the fact that they got Owen Pickering. He's a defenseman. He plays with Swift Current uh, in the WHL. But he's a real, real good defenseman. He's a little raw. He's going to take some time to develop. But he's like 6'4", 180 pounds. So he needs to get, he needs to get a little thicker. But he's got all the qualities of a Pittsburgh defenseman. So I thought that was a pretty good pick. The other thing is goalies, too. You ever notice that it's kind of like in football where everybody's waiting for the quarterbacks, right? Most years there's a bunch of quarterbacks that are going to go, and everybody wants to know when the quarterbacks are going to go. I always wonder when the goalies are going to go. It's like you wait and wait and wait, and you're like, where is the first goalie going to get drafted? This year it was the second round, the 41st pick. It was a Finnish junior player. Tobias Lenonen, I think yep. was his name. That's exactly it. He was the number one ranked goalie out of pretty much all the goalies, U.S., Canada, and Europe. But he's a big dude. He's 6'5", 233. He's big. He went in the second round. But it's interesting because you go through those lists and you see all these guys are picked. But then you look at the goalie list and look at the rankings. So if you take the top 10 goalies, like North American goalies, Two of the top 10 weren't even picked mm-hmm. in the entire draft. If you look at the European list, six of the top 10 goalies weren't picked. You know, you have 20 goalies that were taken in the entire draft. So of the top 10 overall, only six of them got drafted, which I find interesting. And there were three, four, five, six, seven, 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 seven guys weren't even ranked, but did get drafted. Seven goaltenders, which I think is quite interesting so these are like these i don't know if you would call these advanced statistics but the very last pick in the draft was a goalie by the way he was a belarusian goalie plays for the queue ivan zigalov i believe his name is so mr irrelevant yeah like i said there were a few surprises like i said i didn't think lambert would have dropped as far as he did you know i really didn't think shane wright was going to drop i did find it interesting when montreal started wheeling and dealing i was like Holy crap, they're gonna move up. I'm like, they're gonna they're gonna try to get the second pick. <laughs> and they're gonna take them both. I actually thought that for a second. They're gonna get Slavkovsky and Shane Wright. But that didn't happen. Can you imagine that place? That that was one thing I did notice. Being in Montreal and the amount of fans that were actually there and in the building, the place was loud. It was yeah. like a game. And they were excited and, and getting into it and everything else. Can you imagine if Montreal would have traded into the second pick and got both of them? That place would have been nuts. Would have went crazy. They dealt Romanoff. Alexander Romanoff, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did. And it's funny, they deal him off. And then what? from what I saw yesterday and today, he's signing a deal in the KHL. So they got rid of him at the right time. 
Yeah, that was part of the Kirby Doc three-way no, deal. No, that was a separate trade. So first, when I remember when Batman he comes on the stage, everybody starts booing him again, and then he goes, "Oh, don't boo me! I I got I got news." I got a trade to announce, two trades to announce, and they're booing. And he goes, but these trades involve the Montreal Canadiens. And then he's like, the Canadians have traded Alexander Romanoff. And I'm like, hey, maybe he's going to come to the Blackhawks because they're going to probably fire sale. You know, they already dumped um, Alex Debrinkit earlier that day. And then I'm just like thinking, okay, well, they still got to trade Kirby Doc, right? Which they did. But he, first he announces that, you know, Romanoff's being traded, what was it, to the Islanders for a pick or something like that? I, I can't remember. They got the Islanders first round, and the Islanders got Romanoff in a fourth round. Gotcha. That was for this year. Yeah. So Montreal gets the number 13 overall pick, and then the Islanders get the number 98 pick. That's how that worked. Uh, and then they traded for Kirby Doc, and that was the other trade that they announced. And as soon as that happened... I'm sitting on my couch. I'm watching the draft. And as soon as I heard that, and then I heard that the Blackhawks got two draft picks in exchange. I yeah, started, first rounder and a second rounder. Third round. Anyway, so it was like number 66 or something like that. You know what? If it's not the first overall pick, I don't really care. That's just how it is, right? Like the 72nd overall pick. I mean, look, once upon a time, getting picked... 10th overall would have put made you a second rounder, you know, back in the original six days. You know what I mean? So now you're like, oh, 10th overall, that's not bad, right? So it's just, it's all, it's all relative. I mean, the guys that go 32nd overall in the draft now, I mean, that's still first round, but, you know, 30 years ago, that would have been second, middle of the second round, right? So I, I guess it really boils I, down to draft class, though. When you, when you no, think I get that. Because if the, you have a really deep class, like this year wasn't that deep. You only had like, I mean, obviously beyond the top tier of the top three to five guys, there wasn't a whole lot there. And most of the guys in the first round were more or less interchangeable, which you can see by all the pre-rankings versus where they got picked. I don't think we're going to see that next year. We didn't see it last year either. I know what you're saying. It's like, okay, do these picks even matter? Because let's be honest, of the 200 and I mean, how many how many picks are there? Seven rounds. And you have um, 225 guys. How many of those 225 guys are going to play in the NHL, let alone have a career? I mean, so, that's really what it boils down to. I haven't written one of these articles in a while because I just haven't had the time. And every time the draft comes up, it always sneaks up on me. But I would write these really long articles for Puck Junk called reimagining whatever year, reimagining the 1990 draft, reimagining the 1991 draft, reimagining the 1992 draft. I think I did this all the way up to like 95 because I would always do it like on the 25th anniversary of whatever that draft was. So reimagining 1990, I wrote that in 2015 and the next year I did 2016 and so on and so forth. And then I think like once we had COVID and, and like, the draft got moved around and, you know, everybody's life got turned upside down. I just haven't had the time or the ambition because, you know, most people who write articles about redoing a draft, they only do the top 10 picks. And that's fun to do. Oh, if you could go back to 1990, who would you take first overall? Martin Brodeur or Yarmir Yager, right? You know, that's that's the fun part. What's not fun is to figure out who you're going to take 20th overall. 
You know what I mean? And that's when you start looking and then you start saying to yourself, well, I start saying to myself when I do this. And now, again, I'm looking at stuff from 30 years ago and not from recent stuff. But, you know, it's easy to look back 20, 30 years. The thing is, is that when everybody's drafted, we always think they're top five. They're going to be some sort of like superstar player. And if they're not top five, they're going to be an NHLer. The truth of the matter is, is that a lot of these guys might have decent careers, but nothing like super notable. I mean, it's notable that you make it to the NHL. Don't get me wrong. And if you make it to the thousand game mark, that's also notable. I mean, you have like stay at home defensemen types who play over a thousand games and they're not going to be in the hall of fame, but they have longevity. The thing is, is that like when Connor McDavid was drafted, we knew he was going to be special. Sidney Crosby, we knew he was going to be special. Like certain players, Eric Lindros, you know they're going to be special. But then when you look at like the 15th overall or 18th overall pick in the first round or whatever, they might not even make the NHL. And then you have like a guy who was drafted in like the sixth round who might like surprise everybody. That's the thing though, is that it is a crapshoot. And the thing is, is that like even scouting can only go so far. I mean, there's really no way to predict the future. You just kind of look at the past and and try to draw a conclusion, which is what the scouts are doing. You might look at a guy who's taken 32nd overall or whatever, and he just might have a decent career. Never play in the all-star game, never win an individual award, but might play 800 games over 12 seasons or something. And and we forget about that. We always think, oh, this guy's going to be the next superstar for my team. I think it was Sergei Krivokrasov who taught me that lesson because I was so excited when the Blackhawks drafted him in like 92 or something. But I think they were drafting anybody with a Russian name or anybody Russian, because if you're Russian, you have a Russian name. And I think that's when I learned that just because the guy was taken in the first round doesn't mean he's going to be a great player. No, absolutely. Go back in time since they started the entry draft. And, you know, really it boils down to people talk about three, maybe four drafts that were really, really good. Like the 79 draft, the 88 draft, the 03 draft. Those are all arguably like three of the best draft classes of all time. Right. right? Even maybe throw in the 05 draft. You look at the overall body of work and, you know, for every, you know, number one through 10 in each class that eight of the 10 have long NHL careers and a bunch of them are hall of famers. You'll have a lot of dud years where of the top 10, maybe two guys made a career out of it and three, possibly four. It's really difficult to, make a full-on prediction as to who's going to be the best. And you always have to wait a few years, especially with guys being drafted at 17, 18 years old. You know, not many of them are NHL ready. Mm -hmm. So we may not see a lot of these guys for three, four years. Not to mention there's so many kids now that because of the way the NCAA programs have improved tenfold over the years, a lot of these guys just right off the bat, basically say they're going to college. And so they get into these these elite collegiate programs and they may be gone four years if they decide to play all four. You may see a guy at the end of his fourth year show up as a uh, you know a playoff add-on mm-hmm. on a roster, but you know that, that, that could be many, many years down the road. 
look, the fact is you, you bring in these guys, many, many of these players have been scouted since they were 12, 13 years old, even more so at 16, more so at 17, and then they get drafted late 17 or 18 years old. So it's like most scouts have a good book of business for each one of these guys. So they kind of know what they are looking for. They know what they need. They know the qualities that they see in NHL caliber type players. And, you know, the best 200 and some of them get picked. And unless you're a goalie, then they just roll the dice and see what happens. Right. So, but, yeah, you know, I, here, here's something else I noticed, too, about the draft. Not to you know, keep draft talk going, but I noticed how many players have some interesting names in the draft, especially the, some of the top players that got drafted, like uh, Jagger Furcus. That's an awesome name. Uh, he's a wing, winger that played for Moose Jaw in the WHL. Jagger Furcus. And I like Owen Pickering. I like that name, especially because mm-hmm. the Steelers drafted – Kenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. So now the Penguins draft Owen Pickering. So like two Pittsburgh teams have a Pickett and a Pickering as the number one picks. Mm-hmm. I found that interesting. Maverick Lamaru. That's that's an awesome name. Like Maverick. You, mm-hmm. you know their parents were Top Gun fans. Or uh, Winnipeg took in with uh, I think they had 14 or 15th pick. They took uh, Rutger McGrory. Hmm. Like, like that's an awesome name. <laughs> And there was Seamus Casey. How many Seamuses are there in the NHL? I can't think of one. Yeah, and my wife pointed that out too, is all these kids with these weird names. And I'm like, yeah, and none of them are European. These are all Hmm. North American skaters. This podcast might not go up until the day of free agent frenzy, but we got free agency coming up when GMs temporarily lose their mind and overpay for guys that they shouldn't just because – they want to make sure that their competitor doesn't, I want to sign this guy and you want to sign this guy. Well, I'm going to pay him $2 million more and give him two more years on the contract to make sure that you don't get him. And then everybody, you know, it will go, oh, they really shouldn't have signed him to that contract. That was dumb. You know, always four years later. Yeah. I mean, there's always regrets on the board, especially when guys don't play to their potential or to the contract that they may have earned the previous year due to whatever circumstance or playing way above their pay grade. I mean, look, I give it to guys. They go out there and they, they bust their butts and end up putting up numbers higher than, you know, they ever have in their entire career. Of course that earns them extra pay. You know, why wouldn't it? If you get merit-based pay for your job and you do a heck of heck of a job and make your team money or your, your job money, of course they're going to give you merit pay if they're worth it. But no fan likes to see players get picked off, right? No, no fan of any team sits there and is like, man, this is my favorite time of the year, trade deadline day or free agent day or any of that kind of stuff. You're not a true fan of a team if, if you love that because it breaks up the band, right? You get so used to seeing these group of players and then all of a sudden the next day, it's like a whole different thing. And, you know, we're going into that period. I actually predicted before the draft that there were going to be up to seven or more trades prior to the draft. There weren't. There were only like, I think, four leading into the draft and then a ton of trades during the draft, you know, mostly 
pick type trades. Mm -hmm. But I think the big one that that started everything off was the um, the Avalanche getting uh, Georgiev from the Rangers, right? For, for three picks, it was a third rounder and a fifth rounder this year. So late round picks in a draft that already isn't that deep, eh? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. But a next year third round pick, which has a much deeper draft class. So any of these trades involving 2023, there's a lot more riding on those picks, I think, especially first rounders than some of the late round ones this year. But yeah, the Georgiev trade and the fact that I think the Avalanche signed him too, like the day after, like extended his contract and Mm -hmm. signed him. So that was like the first one that started it off. And of course, right after that, the foundation of the United Center was lit on fire. <sighs> and the Blackhawks began their their descent into futility. <laughs> the with, fire sale of 2022. Yeah. So, you know, I've heard of the Chicago Fire. I thought they were a soccer team, but apparently they're a hockey team now, too. And the uh, the Blackhawks started off dumping Alex to bring it to the Senators for three picks. A first, a second, and a third. Which is interesting. They got the first and second in this year's draft, and then they traded the third round pick in 2024. So I think the Blackhawks knew that with a better draft class next year, they better keep that pick and we'll just mm-hmm. send the next guy from the following year to go with it. But the Brinkett, I don't understand that trade. Even if you're rebuilding, which you pretty much knew that the Blackhawks are already in rebuilding mode after last year. To dump your 40 goal scorer, you don't replace that. There's nobody out there on the market that you can replace that with. No one. There's no one available. So here's a couple of thoughts on this. First thing is, yes, it was the leading goal scorer on the team. Uh, secondly, he and Kane play well together. Basically, the Blackhawks traded their best player away. You know, I mean, I mean you could statistically, say, yeah. I mean, you could say Patrick Kane's a better player, but it had a better season. You, you know what I mean? Like, and he's younger. Kane's he's more... are always going to be your superstars, but right. still, statistically, it had a better season, and he's got way better upside. I mean, right. the kid's young. So, to me, when I saw that we traded Dabrinkit and we got a first-round pick, and I get it because the Blackhawks needed a first-round. They wanted a first-round pick. They ended up with three. Okay. They made some trades. They got three. So, Blackhawks have a new general manager, Kyle Davidson. He was an intern 10 or 12 years ago. Actually, he was an intern on the team when that whole Kyle Beach thing went down back in 2010. Kyle Davidson was an intern. He had nothing to do with any of this. But I'm just saying, so he goes far back. That's how he started with the team. He was an intern, worked his way up. Now he's general manager. The problem is, is that when you get a new GM, they have no attachment to the old players. The superstar guys, you can't get rid of a Sidney Crosby. You can't get rid of an Alex Ovechkin, either contractually or just you can't because there'd be chaos. But you look at like how the Blackhawks traded Kirby Doc. Now, remember, Kirby Doc was drafted third overall three years ago. Yep. He hasn't really had the chance to have a full season. He had a rookie season that was kind of slow. It was 1920, and in 2021 was that shortened season. You know what? He missed a lot of games in 2021 because he had an injury, a wrist injury, that he sustained at the World Junior Championship. Before the NHL season was going to start in 2021, he didn't play most of the season because he was injured. He's well, I agree. Had... It's not like he was lighting the world on fire in Chicago, but 
Kirby Doc, he's a big, solid dude with a lot 21 of 21 years old. He's 21 years old. That annoyed me because it's just like, okay, couldn't you have gotten a good player? Like, you know, who else had kind of a, a an off season was Tim Stutzla. And I'm thinking, all right, maybe Doc and something else. You know, like you think of like, hey, our first round guy isn't working out so well. Your first round guy isn't working out so well. Maybe we should trade. You know what I mean? Change of scenery, right? Well, they weren't going to get Stutzla. Let's put it that way. That, that wasn't going to happen. But. I see what you're saying. At least get a player that you can use now. Because, like I said, whatever you want to call it, rebuilding mode, burn down the house mode, whatever it was, you can say that last year. But the fact is, you look at what they were doing with those young guys, the fact that they still have Taze and Kane. And, I mean, they brought in Seth Jones. They brought in Marc-Andre Fleury to do something. And then all of a sudden, now Fleury's gone. And we don't have a goaltender either. And Seth Jones, I mean, there were tons of rumors that he was going to get traded too. And Kane was going to ask to be traded because they have like the same representation. And just all this stuff started going down. And you're like, well, that's the end of the blackout. <laughs> like they're burning it to the ground. The Brinkett goes. Then some other trades go. We already talked about the Romanoff one. Mm-hmm. You know, then, then Kirby Doc goes for two picks. So the Canadians pick up, you know, another player, which made the crowd go crazy also. And then they get their goaltender back, right? Peter Mrazek from the Leafs. So the Leafs, like, were desperate to dump Mrazek uh, because of his injury history. So in order to get the Hawks to take him, they had to give up their first-round pick also. They got a second round pick in return, but the Hawks now get a goaltender. So regardless of what your opinion is of Peter Morazic as a goaltender, I mean, he showed flashes of genius over the years, but I hardly think he's a solution. You no. know what I mean, he's definitely not a solution to that issue. And then today, just to push the story further down the road, qualified offers were made, had to be made mm-hmm. today by five o'clock. This is Monday, what is today, the 11th, we're recording Mm -hmm. this. So Mm -hmm. Monday the 11th, they had to put in those offer sheets. And who did the Blackhawks give offer to? Jones. Not Seth Jones. Caleb Jones. Oh. And uh, I forget who the other offer was made to, but they only gave uh, offers to two guys, qualified offers. So what, what that means for, if you don't know what qualified offer is, essentially qualified offer means you're laying claim to a potential UFA, which makes them an RFA. So if anybody else offers them money, you get paid too as a team. You own the rights to the player is essentially how you can boil that down. But yeah, so Blackhawks seem to be committed to uh, burning it down and starting completely from scratch. It would it would appear for sure. So well, it's hard to do at two hundred bucks a ticket to see them in person. Not that uh, I want to, but I'm just saying. You look at it on paper, it's like, who's going to play for this team, right? You can't have just Kane and Taze. They're basically trying to make the team so unplayable that Kane and Taze are going to ask to be traded. You trade all oh, the good shame. players around them, and then you get your two legends with the no-movement clauses to waive those clauses and say, all right, trade us. It's kind of a shame. It is a shame, but this is where it becomes a business. This is when it stops becoming a fandom and when it starts just becoming a business, you know, and that's. And again, sad. that's why I preface this by saying this is not the time of year that's 
it's for fans, you know, because you see your favorite players disappear. Or not that he was a favorite player of any Edmonton fan, but like Zach Cassian, he goes to Arizona. Is he going to be missed there? Maybe to some people. I mean, he is a bottom line type forward. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Detroit signed Billy Uso. Billy Uso was great in the regular season, not so much in the playoffs. I mean, if you remember right, Billy Uso was, was drafted to be the guy in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Bennington was not even a blip on the radar, really. If anything, he was going to be the backup. And it ended up being the other way around. But Uso played really good during the regular season, but didn't show up on the playoffs. So that was the end of that. Uh, I found it funny that the Capitals, basically, the GM of the Capitals was like, yeah, we're getting rid of all of our goaltenders. We don't care. We need to start over because none of these guys are worth it. So the Devils take uh, Vanacek. Uh, they didn't give an offer to Samsonov today, so he's becomes an unrestricted free agent as of today. Wow. So they're done with that. Tony D'Angelo signing in Philly was an interesting one. Did you see that one? No. Yeah, the Hurricanes traded Tony D'Angelo to the Flyers for three picks. I couldn't believe that. Considering everything we know about Tony D'Angelo, and let's just throw this out there. Did he play really well? Yes, he did. He was a great player for Carolina, but he carries a lot of baggage and a lot of controversy and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's what gets the publicity and gets the press talking is all of the issues off the ice, you know, the whole fights in the locker room and the things that he said and getting punched by Georgiev, who's now a Colorado avalanche player. And, you know, so you have all of these backstories that involve that. And knowing what you know about the Flyers now going forward, who's the Flyers' new coach? John Tortorella. Boy. So here's a guy that's like a no-nonsense kind of guy and just wants players that go out there and don't shoot the puck and only block shots. That's his ideal player. Is one that goes out there and plays that defensive type game. And knowing what we know about D'Angelo's kind of personality, I'm wondering how that's gonna that's gonna mix. The interesting thing, then they turned around and signed him to like a it was like a two or three year contract right after that. So I was like, wow, that's crazy. That was absolutely crazy. But while we were on the air, this is breaking news. It won't be when this airs. Matt Murray signed by the Maple Leafs in a trade. So the Senators get, get this, future considerations. That's it. And they retain 25% of his salary. Wow. And the Maple Leafs get Murray, next year's third rounder, and 2024's seventh rounder for Matt Murray. So this whole goalie carousel that everybody talks about that's going with guys available, they're dropping like flies. Matt Murray's off the list. And the one thing the Maple Leafs needed bad was a goaltender, right? And so who do they pick? They pick Matt Murray. Two-time Stanley Cup winning Matt Murray, who's been a complete absence of even a shadow of himself since he left the Penguins. And it's mainly because of injuries and everything else in the mental game. He just hasn't been there. I mean, remember last year he got demoted to the AHL team. So Yeah, he requested a trade. He didn't want to play for Ottawa anymore. Yeah, you're not into it. You're not feeling it. You're not playing well. You get demoted. You request a trade. And lo and behold, you agree to a trade. 
to the most high profile team in the NHL. Okay. Wow. That's something. All right, let's move on to some hobby stuff. So Upper Deck launched a platform called Collect Forever, which is basically going to be like EPAC, but for comic books. And when I saw that Collect Forever, I just thought, oh, what is this? And I clicked on the email and like, oh, comic books. Okay, that's interesting. Sure, why not? Did I used to collect comic books? Yeah, I still got a whole bunch of comics I need to get rid of. I got a pretty extensive run of old Captain America comics, probably from about 1978 to 1994. I have like every issue. You know, I mean, I used to be a comic collector. Well, comics have been available on ComC for quite a while as an asset on there. Listen to me. I'm saying words like asset, like this is some type of investment thing. Digital Um, asset, digital asset. They've been available on there for quite a while. Alternative asset, alternative asset. Yeah, exactly. So it seems only natural that they connect an EPAC thing to some type of collectability to comic books, since that's their marketplace. So ComC finally shipped your order. I know Monday morning I was just like, hey, how long does it take to get a ComC order? And then like people chimed in with their feedback and thank you for that. ComC didn't actually give an answer, but they answered with animated GIFs and liking other people's responses to my tweets, but didn't actually say, hey, we're pretty caught up now, or oh, we're still backlogged. So I was thinking about having some cards shipped to me, but I wasn't going to spend $30 to have them in a week. I guess I could just spend $5 and get them in six weeks then or whatever, but. Yeah, I can, I mean, I can attest to my latest with them. And honestly, you know, Listeners of the show and people that follow me on social media, they know the saga, especially if you've been around for a while. They know my history going back with my Comp C orders all the way back to 19. I mean, prior to that, everything was great, but 19 is kind of when the wheels fell off. But my last order was 564 cards. And from order till delivery at my house, it was 19 days. That's total days, including weekends. And that is economy. So I paid five bucks for shipping, not extra. And it was 19 days. So I can even go out on a limb and say, even prior to all the delays and problems, I don't think I ever got a shipment that quick. So what I'm saying is, ComC, if you're listening, can you finally unblock me from Twitter? Maybe, possibly. I mean, I know we've got some, apparently some hard feelings, but it's only one-sided. So, yeah, if you can get on that, I'd appreciate it. They got offended that you pointed out that it took a long time for your order to show up and that your order was lost and that they never responded to your questions about, hey, what happened to my order that just went missing and fell off the radar for eight weeks? Yeah, well, you know, I get it. You don't want to hear people talking negative about you and stuff, but come on. That's in the past. That's buried. That's two years ago. Let's move on. I've moved on. Let's move on. Let bygones be bygones. We can be friends. I promise. So I got to talk about this new service that Dave and Adam's Card World is offering. So Yeah, tell me about this because I have no clue. This is the first okay, time hearing so about it. We know there's a lot of terms that we just detest. Us old school, get off my lawn collector types, right? Like whenever you're on eBay, you see VHTF, which stands for... VHTF? Very hard to find. Oh, 
I don't know that one. You don't? Okay. No. VHTF, very hard to find. Or I think eBay, if I ever saw it, I probably ignored it. Or when somebody puts eBay one of one in their yeah, listing. That, that one I'm more than familiar with. Or just the ever generic hot. In all hot capital. with a bunch of fire emojis. Yeah. Right. Or one that I always hated is pack fresh. Like Oh, that's a good one. Like, well, you know, you could buy that Kirill Kaprizov Young Gun rookie card on eBay, or you could buy this one, which is pack fresh. I mean, I only want my cards to be pack fresh. I want my cards to be pack fresh so much that I even commissioned air fresheners be made that smell like packs, and I hang them in the uh, card closet so that all my cards smell pack fresh. You know, there's there was another term. Oh, I appeal. That's another one. When you talk about these resellers of graded cards, and they'll be like, well, this is a PSA 9, which, you know, unilaterally is considered to be like a mint card, PSA 9. But this PSA 9 has better eye appeal, right? Like, it's a graded card, but this is a better graded card, even though you have two graded cards that are the same grade of a 9, right? It's just it's ridiculous. Yeah, and I don't even know what eye appeal means, because isn't beauty in the eye of the beholder? Yeah, but you do property stuff, so you know what curb appeal means, right? Well, I know what curb appeal is, but curb appeal is also a very subjective thing, and one person's trash is another person's treasure, you know what I mean? Right, right. So it all depends on what you're looking at, and, you know, the whole location, 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 that that holds way more water than uh, the whole curb appeal thing. Right. But yeah, they still use it on listings, and it's one of those things that realtors use to fluff stuff up. I get it. I understand. Right. So... DA Card World, they will sell you a box of cards for more money, and they're selling it as something they are calling case fresh. So, so let you're me, saying more money than what it actually costs to buy a normal so, box, or, or yeah. Whatever. So here, let me give you let me give you a for instance that ties into our our next topic, twenty one twenty two Upper Deck Series two. You could buy yes. a box of a hot box. Of twenty one twenty two upper deck series two for ninety nine ninety five hundred bucks right, or you could buy a box that they are calling case fresh for one hundred and forty nine ninety five. Now let me explain what so the fifty dollars more. Let me explain the extra fifty dollar charge for buying the same box. Basically, what they do is they put it in a plastic container that has DA Card World shrink wrap applied to it. It has a sticker on the back with a QR code. And here, I'm just going to read the rest of this. All right, so it says here, David Adams, Case Fresh. Fact, not opinion. Case Fresh is a box of cards pulled directly from a sealed case that came to David Adams, directly from the manufacturer. It is removed, placed into an acrylic display case, and closed with tamper-proof security stickers. It is wrapped with Dave and Adam's Case Fresh Wrap, and a QR code security label is applied to the wrap. Each QR code security label will have information about the product and a link to a video of the entire process. If you are going to put away a box as an investment, then Case Fresh is the way to go. These boxes came straight to us from the manufacturer, its authenticity is fact, not opinion. Okay. I see what they're doing. I see what they're trying to do. 
This is catering to all of the breakers and the investor types that are looking for the potential for those big case hits. Because if you just got a random box, you don't know what case it came from or where it came from or if it was pulled from somewhere else. And they're trying to say, we're basically saying that here's the case. We're opening the case. You can see us opening it. We're taking this box out. See, it came from this case. So you might have a shot at whatever big case hit, whatever it might be. I get it. Is it silly? Yes, it is absolutely silly. Am I going to pay an extra 50 bucks to get them to put my box in a piece of Tupperware to tell me that it came from a box? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Especially for a new product. I don't care. I don't. Isn't it just ridiculous, though, how far this goes? Grading really was just the tip of the iceberg here because we have grading, but then we have companies that will even evaluate the grade. Yeah, the grading, the grading. Grading, the grading, right? Yes. And then we have people who will buy a box of hockey cards or football cards or basketball cards and hang on to it for 10 years and then resell it for 10 times the amount. But now you have companies who are going to be like, okay, you're going to do that. So we're going to, we'll put it in a plastic box. Basically, like it's almost like a graded toy. If you have ever seen like graded toys or graded video game cartridges, will come in like a Lucite clear box with like a grading label at the top. Kind of like a slab for a card, but three-dimensional. You know, it's funny, like I've said many times, everything surprises me and nothing surprises me because it's like everybody just wants to make more money and more money. It's like people are making money off of people wanting to make money. Like, well, you know, I mean, you could buy this box from Tim for $500 and it might have an Austin Matthews young gun in it, or you could buy this box from Sal who had it certified case fresh and it's wrapped in this special shrink wrap. It's kind of like with the baseball card exchange, how I've been making fun of their fancy plastic wrap, you know? They're on the same parallel. They're different, but they're on the same parallel. And this is how I envision this is and how you describe it kind of seems that way. So they have that QR code on the box DA has. Mm -hmm. You scan the QR code. It takes you to like their video of them unboxing this. Yes. Do they show you? Here's the serial number on the case. Here's the serial number on the box. And on their video, it's going to match the box. I don't know. I just saw if they show that. So if they show that, that's kind of like the whole, hey, we have we have um, chain of custody here. We have hold on though. Hold on. Chain or whatever. But Upper Deck does not serial number their boxes. So you can't really tell because they don't disclose print runs. So if they do disclose it maybe on a super high-end product like the cup. They might say X amount of cases. I don't know if they do because I've never been able to afford the cup. But this isn't like the 94-95 Pinnacle Hockey Days where they said only 20,000 cases will be produced, right? That are serial numbered, right? And then we knew that there was a limited amount of only 20,000 20-box cases. Well, I know they don't serial number the boxes from a standpoint of counting them, but they do sticker them with numbering that matches the cases they on the inside of the box i I think they do on the outside too because i had a couple boxes of allure that i bought not too long ago that had the sticker on the inside and on the outside okay so yeah i have seen them on the inside like you flip up the lid and it's printed maybe under the lid or something like that a couple years back i had to send some cards back to upper deck that were defective and 
they wanted that they said there's a sticker on the inside of the box we need the number off of it and yeah. i was like hey good thing i saved the box right and i think that's a way they can trace it back to the case it came from the production of when it was made and possibly where they shipped it to so they have an idea of who got it before you bought it right. I, I don't know if that's how they track it but okay i could get that then what you're talking about about baseball card exchange is just hey we bought this supposed unopened box of whatever you know we bought this box of 86 opg from a guy that had it for 100 years and we're authenticating it as saying that yes this is an authentic box that's never been opened so that's more of they're trying to authenticate that something's actually real rather than it came from a certain place and obviously we know that they've run into problems with that on various authenticating things not necessarily with sports cards but with non-sports cards and we won't get into that again because we've already <laughs> dealt with that so dedicated a whole episode to talking about yeah. freaking pokemon cards gi joe cards um yeah so that's in that's interesting yeah i agree that's another that's a cash grab just something else let's talk series two i just want to cut to this because i feel like we always put things off to the end and well we did put this off to the end it's our big but, thing the big thing big we save the best for last yeah well okay i guess that's like dessert right that's right. Well, they do say you should start eating dessert now before your food. I heard that. I've heard of that, too, and I like that idea. Yeah. I don't want to save room for dessert. I want to save room for vegetables. I want to eat the damn dessert. I want the second scoop of ice cream. There you go. Says the guy paying money to see a personal trainer. You know, feed me more ice cream. Ah! Um, you, you can because you got the personal trainer. Sure. Well, but these things kind of work against each other. Yeah, now you're splitting hairs. You're not an expert. <laughs> I always remember this answer because it was the most vanilla answer, literally and figuratively, that an NHL player could give to a question. They were asking, like, Blackhawks players what their favorite snack was. And Patrick Sharp, remember Patrick Sharp? Of course. Patrick Sharp said that his favorite snack was a scoop of vanilla ice cream. And then he talked about how he could treat himself to that during the season because he works out, you know, harder in the season because he's playing 82 games. But in the summertime, he won't have that snack. Hockey players train year round, but he's not training as hard in the off season. That's when a lot of these guys will let their body recover. You know, they're not working out an insane amount like they do during the season. And I'm just thinking, wow, vanilla ice cream and you can't even have it in the summer. You know, like, and from that standpoint, I, I guess I understand that. I mean, anybody that knows Patrick Sharp, I mean, Henrik Lundqvist to me was Mr. GQ. Patrick Sharp is Mr. GQ too. Yeah. Because he's like that perfectly sculpted, like Greek god type guy with the chiseled face and everything, mm -hmm. you know, looking all whatever. I'm not attracted to him or anything. I'm just saying in a purely plutonic kind of way. Well, now, you know, Jeremy Roenick would consider it. Maybe. As as we've discussed. Yes. Um, yes, so, he would. Series two. Stuff you already know. 200 base cards, 50 young guns. The notable young guns in this set, Moritz Sider, defenseman for the Detroit Red Wings, who won the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year. Also, Quinton Byfield, Mason McTavish, Anton Lundell. Lucas Raymond, probably a few other notable young guns. Those are the standouts to me. As far as big type names go, yeah, I would probably add Cole Sillinger to that list. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From that that grouping. The thing is, is that 
you know, of course, you could buy a hobby box, you could buy a retail box, you could buy a hobby or retail box from an online seller like Steel City Sports or DA Card World. But then, as I've talked about in the past, I tend to trend more towards retail stuff that I could get at my local Target. You know what? When I go to my local Target store, nobody's beating me up for the hockey cards. If anything, they want the football cards, the basketball cards, and the Pokemon cards. I've walked in, seen five mega boxes sitting there, and bought them all. They didn't even put up a sign that says limit whatever. My Target just doesn't care. I'm pretty sure we're past that point. Yeah, and the other thing is, too, is that these prices have gone up. A mega box used to be a $30 thing. Now it's a $40 thing. Let me, let me talk a little bit about this just because there's different buying options. I mean, first of all, you could buy a hobby box. They're ranging from about 95 to 100 unless you get one that's case fresh. Then that's going to cost you more, but you're not going to open it anyway. So that doesn't really count. We need one of those weenie in the butt buttons. Yeah. Fresh, 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 right. Uh, anyway, so your hobby box, you get your six young guns, and then you could, of course, get upper deck exclusives or high gloss parallels, which I didn't pull any. I actually bought a hobby box. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Blaster boxes are 20 bucks each. You get six packs. You're only really guaranteed one young gun, even though technically you could get two. I have not pulled two young guns from a blaster box ever since Upper Deck downsized the blaster boxes from eight packs, which would definitely give you two, to six packs where you can get one or two, but I've always gotten just one. And I know a guy on Twitter, he bought a case. I think he only opened five so far, but he said he, cause he's not sure. He, he, he opened five, he got a Moritz Cider Young Gun and then he doesn't know if he wants to open the rest of them yet. But he's like, well, what the heck, man? I've only gotten one Young Gun per box, even though technically you should get two in every other box, right? You should get two in one and one in another, because then that would be three young guns over 12 packs, right? But it seems like the blaster boxes, you know, I bought blaster boxes in 2021, and I bought uh, some Series 1 blaster boxes in 21-22 for Series 1, and I never got more than one young gun per blaster. Now, third... I've become a big fan of the mega boxes. The mega boxes are just like what they sound like. They're like a blaster box, but they're bigger. They have 10 packs instead of six. Plus, they usually have a bonus pack of some sort. So series one mega boxes had 10 packs for $40. Series two mega boxes, same deal. 10 packs for $40. Plus the ones that I'm buying at Target have a bonus pack of the Rookie Class set, which are like these shiny cards. They're actually continuing that set. So Series 1 Rookie Class was 15 cards. Series 2 Rookie Class is another 15 cards. And again, you only get these Rookie Class cards. They come in a three-card pack. You get one pack of these per mega box. And then you also, this, at Target... This is different from the Opeachy Glossy Rookie that you get yes. in the tin. Correct. And it's different from the Rookie Box set. Yes. So okay. all of these things are different. So the rookie box set has its own design. That's 25 cards for $25. Also available at Target. I actually bought one. Didn't really talk about it too much. You buy it, you go, oh, yeah, okay, cool. You put it in pages and that's the end of that. The tins have eight packs. They haven't come out yet for series two, but the tins have eight packs for 30 bucks. And then they have an OPG glossy pack. 
So They're supposed to be out by the end of the month. The reason why I prefer to buy the mega boxes or the tins is because I know I'm going to get two young guns. I have bought mega boxes with three young guns. In fact, I remember with series one, I remember buying like I bought five at a time or I opened five at a time. I think I bought five at a time and three of them had three young guns and two of them had two young guns. So that's three, six, nine, 10, 11, 12. So I got 13 young guns in four mega boxes, which is pretty good. You know, if you think about it, right, that's why you're buying it because you're going to get tons of base cards no matter what. Oh, by the way, fat packs, I don't even bother with. In fact, I would recommend don't buy fat packs because you're basically paying five bucks to get 30 something base cards. And you might get an insert card. You might get a young gun or you might not. I bought fat packs where it was just 32 base cards, which sucks. I bought a fat pack where I buy one and it would be 31 base cards and one low end insert card. And I'd buy another one and it'd be the same exact same 31 base cards in the same order and in a different insert card. Of course, this was during 2021 when COVID was really being a really big problem with the way their cards were being sequenced or shuffled, as I like to call it, you know, basically the collation. Oh, another thing I will say this, though, right off the top of my head, no quality control problems with Series 2, from what I can see. I bought one blaster box against my better judgment. I bought one blaster box. I bought four mega boxes and I bought one hobby boxes. All cards were cut nice. None of my young guns had any issues. None of my inserts had any issues, which is nice because during series one, I sent upper deck back three defective young guns cards. <laughs> Trevor Zegris and Cole Caulfield were two of the three. The third one I think was Bouillon Boulet from the, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. And so, I mean, when you pull a Zegris and you pull a Caulfield and they both have chipped top edges that just look bad, that kind of takes the wind out of your sails, right? Like, I'm not going to turn around and flip it on eBay tomorrow and, oh, make tons of money, right? These are the cards I wanted to get, and they were defective. Did they um, replace them? They replaced them. Yes, they did. And then they threw in some extra random young gun of, I can't remember who it was, somebody on the wild, and I think I already had the card, so it didn't matter. But it was just like, ah, I guess that's nice. I paid $7 shipping and I got another young gun, you know, because you got to pay to ship your defective cards back to them. You think that what they give you should at least offset the seven, eight bucks you paid in shipping. A wild young gun from series one must have been Kaylin Addison. That sounds about right. Yeah. You're probably in the majority, but when series two first got released, the people that have the issues complain the loudest, obviously. And there was a lot of talk on social media about same issues with quality control. That's died off since then. Hmm. Um, so I think as the release has been out there longer, more people, I don't know, maybe the initial run was kind of wonky, but I don't know. I haven't heard anybody talk about it since then. First couple of weeks, it was like, oh, this is crap too. Now nobody says anything. I realized that I don't need to panic buy stuff when it first comes out. When Metal Universe came out in 2021 at the end of, well, that was well past the end of the 2021 season, you know, and I was buying blaster boxes from Target and I was able to find enough. I wasn't going to like panic buy a hobby box because it was too much money. And it was the same with like series two. I was like, do I pre-order? Do I pre-order? 
then and when uh, Moritz Sider won Rookie of the Year, I thought, uh-oh, he's in Series 2. Is that going to drive up the price of a box? That's something we talked about in a past episode, and it didn't. It actually, it kind of like the boxes started a little higher than what they're selling for now. I think that Series 2 was selling for like, I think it was pre-selling for like 120 and the retail boxes, I can't remember what they were pre-selling for. I want to say they were like $70 maybe. And it seems like those prices have settled down a bit. If now a, a hobby box is $95, that's about equivalent to what I'm paying if I buy a mega box, 10 packs, $40, $4 per pack. I buy a um, hobby box at $95, 24 packs, about $4 per pack. That's now become like the new threshold, right? Like we think, oh, this is too much for a gallon of milk, or this is too much for a loaf of bread, or this is too much for a pack of cards. But then after a while, or a gallon of gas, right? Where your threshold kind of changes over time. Like we know that cards aren't 50 cents a pack anymore. In fact, now I have to just begrudgedly agree that a pack of Upper Deck is not a $2.99 pack anymore. It's a $3.99 pack or maybe a $4.99 pack. And people in Canada are laughing because they're probably paying $6 a pack. I, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, this... <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. It is. And you're right. The price did come down. I mean, these initially were, like you said, they were pre-selling at about $120, $130. I saw them as much as $160 when they first came out. But now most online retailers have them for 100 bucks. I think part of that is is that Cider won the Calder, and we're like, okay, he's good. He should have won the Calder. He was a defenseman. He led rookies in scoring, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think the hobby got really excited. Like, they well, were getting excited. There's a reason why they didn't get excited. Well, he's on and Detroit. I, well, he's on Detroit, but what position does he play? Defense. There you go. And traditionally, the hobby hates defensemen. Unless they're Kale McCarr. Then they love him. Kale McCarr is, as a bunch of people keep saying, he's the new Bobby Orr. Which, if that lasts forever, great. If it doesn't, well, then he's just another casualty of the, the hobby hates defenseman people. But yeah, a lot of these younger guys are putting more exposure to defensemen. Cider for one, Adam Fox for another, Kale McCarr for another. These guys are good, but they don't have as much hobby pull as these superstar centers and wingers seem to. Mm -hmm. I'll never understand that, but that's just me. Because even though defense wins championships, scoring wins games, and scoring is exciting. It is, but you're talking about three defensemen that can score. Yes, this is so. true. See, so what I thought was going to happen is I thought he was going to win the Calder. And then Series 2 was going to come out, and it was going to skyrocket even before it came out because the Rookie of the Year is in this box of cards. And I guess that would be the incentive to get one that was case fresh, right? Because possible more Cider Young Gun Rookie card. VHTF hot eBay one of one, right? I thought that was going to drive up the price. I really thought for a little while that like, oh, series two, if Cider wins rookie of the year, it's going to drive up the price and it's going to become a, a tough set to buy hobby boxes of. But no, that didn't happen. Yeah. Now, if Trevor Zegers won rookie of the year and his card was in series two, I think the opposite would have happened. I think that the price would have gone up. 
as you very astutely pointed out, you're like, I don't know if Zeger should be rookie of the year. He scored a really nice goal. And yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Zegers is flash. He's flash and flair. He does he have talent? Absolutely. He does. And yes. I'm not discounting anything he does. Nope. But he's a TikTok high flying highlight reel. And that's that's the best way I can describe him. And he's perfect for a, a younger generation or the people that like the bang bang type top 10 play guy. Mm-hmm. And that's great. That's what the hockey world needs. They need more exposure like that. They need that kind of thing. No one's ever going to get in line and knock down doors and buy up all the cards for some kind of stay at home defenseman that might chip in 30 goals a year. Well, 30 is 30 is great for a defenseman. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I was going to say, if, if take that back, I'll say 30 points, not 30 goals. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Now that's, that's respectable, but not like that's, break. that's probably okay. twice as many as a stay at home defenseman would get. Right. Right. So, so, yeah, and he may be the best you've ever seen at what he does, but, you know, people aren't going to get all excited about it. So, And that's that's just something that, that you deal with. The hobby, what you see in real life on the ice doesn't necessarily translate to what we see as the hype in the hobby. And it happens time and time again. So this is a perfect example of that. You have one guy that's carrying a product. He wins Rookie of the Year, but he's a defenseman. He's on Detroit. Yeah, it's an original six team. They're an up-and-coming team. Not a lot of exposure. People kind of ignored him because, you know, hey, it is what it is. I think the kid's great. I mean, honestly, I can see him carrying the product. But, again, there are other guys in that product, and I think there's a bunch of other guys in there that after next season, you're probably not going to find these boxes for 100 bucks. Hmm. I can tell you that. I'm not hmm. saying go out and buy them and stockpile them or pack fresh them and stick them in your Tupperware containers. Not pack fresh, case fresh. Whatever. I'm not saying go out and do that. Don't anybody come back and blame me when they tank and they're only 50 bucks. But I think there's quite a few guys in this list of, of young guns that are going to turn out to be very good and have really good NHL careers. From Series 2. From Series 2, yes. Mm, I better complete that set then. I don't think I've completed a Young Gun set since 07-08, so need to uh, complete this one this year. Make that a point. See, and then this begs the question, who's going to be an extended as far as the Young Guns go? I can yeah. think of a few, and I can think of a few, but honestly, most of the guys that I'm thinking of that I would want to see in there, I can guarantee won't be until next year. Right. Because they came after the fact. And when Extended was announced earlier in the year, they had to have known what the checklist was by the All-Star break. So any of these guys that were added onto teams for the playoffs and stuff like that or got called up at the end of the year, I bet very few of them are going to be in Extended. That's just my prediction. You never know. We could see a bunch. Yeah, I mean, last year we only had 30 young guns and extended, and one was a checklist, so 29. It was kind of underwhelming. We liked extended. We liked all the, the, the cool late 90s, early 2000 insert sets that it had and the 0506 parallels and whatnot, but it wasn't like the rookie class wasn't like, oh, my God, right? It wasn't like uh, Series 2. 
And that's the whole reason why I'm saying that is, is okay. And I'm sure we were going to talk about this here in a second, but series two is the first main base set that has Kraken cards in it. Yeah. Right? Let's talk about that now. On Kraken. So what I was, what I was getting at was technically Maddie Beneers is eligible for a rookie card. He played 10 games. So would they put him in extended? Probably not because the stats on the back are last year's stats. So he didn't play last year. But he played this year, but it's an extension of last year and the first half of this year, or is it an extension of everything? So what Upper Deck has been doing is they will put the stats from the last year of whatever team he played on. So in the case of these 21-22 cards, so I'm looking at this right here. I'm looking at the Young Guns card. This one shows the guy's stats from the AHL. So here I got Brandon Duhane of uh, the Wild. So it shows his stats with the Iowa Wild. I got an Anton Lundell young gun, lucky me. And it shows his stats with Helsinki. I got a Quinton Byfield young gun, lucky me. Which, by the way, it uses a different picture than what was pictured on the sell sheet. He was pictured wearing a white jersey, but here he's wearing a black jersey. Just an interesting little thing. This has his six games that he played with the Kings in 2021, right? Yeah. This one has AHL stats, NHL stats, NHL stats, right? So if the guy played like a game or two in the NHL, they'll show that for his previous year. And if he doesn't have any NHL experience, I know back in the day they used to say no NHL experience. But now they just show the last full year of the most recent team that they played for. So, yeah, they're not going to show 21-22 stats on a 21-22 card that's just crazy so that's yeah. what i'm thinking if you're a player that you're looking for if he didn't hit the ice or see any ice time till march or april of this year he ain't gonna be in it right yeah before the all-star break that's Have half the season they just gotta play yeah within that first half of the season or they get held over for the next year yeah so let's talk about the fact that we finally have cracking cards yeah all right we finally have cracking cards yay there there we're done yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So many people have been waiting for this moment. It's like it's one of the most anticipated moments because we haven't had any major released cracking cards other than some game dated moments and a uh, one. Set. Well, the box set came out recently as well, and you know there was one National Hockey Card Day cracking card, and there was one Parkhurst card in a cracking uniform with Cole Lind. And it's right. not even him in the picture. Didn't even picture the right before. player. Yeah. Right. So, so you you know you've had just little one-offs here and there. So there's finally something in the flagship base set, and a lot of the Seattle fans are extremely excited about that, which is cool to get when your expansion team finally gets featured in a product. Well, it's exciting. I mean, I remember how excited I was to see Sharks players back in '91, '92, like in the later season products, or heck, even in that. Pro Set Series 1 had a few pictures of a few Sharks guys who were or players who were drafted from other teams like Brian Hayward, you know, or like later on, like even like when we started seeing Winnipeg Jets cards recently or even uh, Golden Knights card. So, yeah, it's always kind of cool. Like, hey, cool. New team. Who this? Well, and the other thing that this does, too, is it wreaks havoc on all of the breakers because now they have to add an extra team to their list of available teams. So now there has to be 32 instead of 31 and they have to make a spot available for the Kraken and all of their group breaks. 
that's something that people don't think about as the long-term effect is how it affects the breakers. Mm-hmm. They feel bad for them. They have to do that extra work and the extra math to figure it out. Although that's the one thing I looked at the checklist for the Kraken. Other than Cole Lind as part of the rookies, there's not a lot of extra stuff yet. I don't even think there was a young gun in this group, if I'm not mistaken. I yeah. don't think there was a Seattle young gun yet. Chris Dreger's in there. I think Jordan Everly. They got Hayden Fleury, uh, Mark Giordano, Big Rig Lexiak, and Brandon Tanev. Yeah, only six Kraken players. Usually, like, a series will have, like, six or seven. And there's only, like, six, one, two, three, four, five, six Sharks players, one, two, three, four, five, six Penguins players. So, yeah, I guess that's to be expected. Maybe uh, extended series will be heavy on the Kraken just because... They'll finally have photos of those. Well, they could have photos of anybody, but they'll have to fill another 200 base cards. Of course, there were a lot of trades that went down. The trades that happened just now or just recently are not going to be in extended series, which... No, is, those cards, you have to imagine, are done. Yeah. We'll, we'll finally get, like, guys that have probably changed. I'm, like, just looking at this checklist really quick. So the Chicago Blackhawk checklist, Kirby Doc, Kelvin DeHaan, Brandon Hagel, Patrick Kane... Connor Murphy, Jonathan Taves, right? Hagel was traded towards the end of the season, and Doc was traded in the offseason just now. So it's funny, like, I was opening cards, and, like, I got a Kirby Doc card, and it's like, oh, man, he was just traded, like, five minutes ago. And now I have, you know, and I'm looking at this base card, and, and he's gone, right? So maybe we'll finally get Marc-Andre Fleury in extended series as a member of the Blackhawks, although he'll, you know, it's not the Blackhawk anymore. That is true. He does have an Opeachy update card in series two. Did you pull that? In any no, stuff? it looks cool though. Yeah, I saw it. It's pretty good. I saw the it, one with the red borders and I'm just like, wow, that looks really cool with the red jersey and the red borders. I want that. Although yeah, yeah. I don't know why, because it's not on the team anymore and it hurts. It was still, it's flurry. It's future hall of famer. You can't go wrong there. No, you can't. All so right, how I did think- you do with your boxes that, did you open anything like worth noting, like any unannounced craziness? I didn't get any, any anything unannounced. Uh, I mean, the only nice cards that I got, I mean, you know, other than the young guns, you know, I mentioned I got Byfield and Lundell in my um, hobby box. One of my mega boxes, I got an honor roll red parallel of Moritz Cider. So like the honor roll cards, but then there's like, there's like shiny red ones and you only get them from Target. That's like the incentive to buy the the mega box from Target cuz I think Walmart also sells mega boxes and I know like some places that sell blaster boxes will have like a jumbo young gun or something like that. So different places have different incentives. You know, I even remember like going back to the Panini days, I really liked Prism hockey and I remember like Oh, I'd buy a blaster box at Walmart and it would have blue spectra parallels and I'd buy a blaster box from Target and it would have red spectra parallels. You know what I mean? So it was kind of cool to like get the different types from the different stores and um, and get those parallels that you can only get from that store. So those are really the only real notable cards I got. No autographs, no jersey cards. Funny how jersey cards are really not a thing in Upper Deck series one series two anymore like they used to be i used to get like three in a hobby box now you don't even you maybe get one every two or three boxes 
Yeah, I think it's one out of 72. Is there regular, like, materials cards? Yeah, although I will say this. In 2021 Series 1, so we're going a year back, but uh, the mega boxes in those usually had one jersey card per mega box, which was weird. It almost felt like they were trying to dump off jersey cards. If they were, like, I was getting, like, one per mega box, and I was just like, wow, I mean... Now it's like you get a jersey card and a, a product like Upper Deck, you're like, oh, that's different. I don't see these too often anymore. But when you get one in every mega box, it's like, hmm, what's the real angle here? You really need to get rid of all these Zach Cassian orange swatches. Okay, well, now they would because he's not on the oil anymore, but you get my point. I mean, there was a long while where Upper Deck hobby boxes, every box had two two jersey cards and then it went down to one and now it's like one every so many boxes yeah and autographs have basically disappeared the only ones they seem to include now in the base series are the can those canvas those rare canvas ones right where it's like retired players or hall of famers uh-huh are um, those uh, short printed oh yeah they're they're numbered i think they're all hand numbered i think this year they had like mike richter and john van beesbrook combo it was like numbered out of 35 i think i saw one on ebay Huh. Somebody, somebody ended up having, but I just wondered what you pulled if you got anything of note, because um, one of the things that has been popping up that I've noticed on between social media and like eBay and stuff like that is are those gold clear cut exclusives, which were unannounced. So there's clear cut. There's like one clear cut in every hobby box, I think, or they're supposed to be, but there's one. clear cut exclusives that are gold. They're not numbered, but they're also not announced, so we don't know how many of each one there are. But I didn't get a numbered. So I, I got a numbered, um, like a shiny. I guess you'd say it's platinum. I don't know. It's numbered out of two fifty. I, I don't know what it is. If rainbow, maybe. If it's rainbow, it's numbered out of two fifty. Yeah. yeah. The, the rainbow parallels are hobby box ones. Oh, here actually, I got something notable. I got a UD Canvas retired star of Bernie Perrant. Overall odds, one out of 192 packs. Yeah, there you go. That's pretty good. Not numbered, though. It's just... Yeah, they're not numbered. They're just short printed because they're yeah. the top. They're the high number ones. Right. So I did get one of those, and that kind of struck me as odd because, you know, it's a retired player. And whenever you see a retired player, you're like, hmm, okay. That's, cool. that's how you that's how you always know it's something weird because you know what the canvas are supposed to be that are they're very similar to the the base chest right. checklist right. they mix yeah. up series one and two with the players but it's generally the same and then all of a sudden you'll pull like one year i pulled a jean beliveau one um and i'm like whoa this is pretty cool and then mm -hmm. i found out i was short friend another year i got gretzky and then what was the one i want to say it was doug What's his name? I can't think. Who's the old defenseman? Doug Harvey. Doug Harvey. Yeah, it was a Doug Harvey one. I'm going to buy Upper Deck Series 1, Series 2, and Extended Series always, even if I don't like the design. I mean, we talked about the design. We talked about Series 1. We like the design. Well, I like the design. Obviously, if you like it, you're going to buy it and not be disappointed, especially with a more solid crop of rookies in Series 2 and some Kraken players and then you know, some surprises depending on where you buy them from, whether you buy blaster or mega boxes like I do, or you buy hobby boxes or whatever. Yeah, good set. Definitely a must have if you're doing the base, if you're trying to build 
That's for sure. All right, I think we should wrap this up because I think I've said everything I need to say. I know you'll never run out of things to say, so we'll just save it for the next episode, I guess, right? I got nothing to say. You got nothing to say? No. Wow, that's uh, a first? See, that was my nothing. That was your nothing. That was a whole lot of nothing. Yes. All right, well, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast, and until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.